When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Tell you what, that Tiger Woods is a dog's bollocks, isn't he? Mixed race, you see. Part Afro-American, part white man, part Dutch and part Vietnamese. And then four different races have combined to produce the perfect golfer. And still so young. The Afro-American, right, that's his natural grace for his driving, right? The Vietnamese, for when he's in the rough, you got me? <laughs> All the jungles and that, they have a network of tunnels. The Dutch in him makes him laid back for his temperament. And the white man means he can get on the course in the first place. For one night only, Simon Day and Friends, the brilliant character comic from The Fast Show, Brian Pern, and currently down the line on Radio 4. Saturday, June the 13th. Tickets only £5 and watch from the comfort of your living room. For tickets, go to biletto.co.uk and search Simon Day and Friends now. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Chels. Well, what a week that's been. We're all getting into gear. Everyone's thinking of going back to work. Some of us are already back at work. Well, I shouldn't say us, because I'm not. Uh, but everything else is moving on into a, a whole new era. We've got football coming in about ten days' time. And I'm actually starting to get excited about seeing the boys playing again. Uh, I didn't think I'd be excited, but I am. So... Really, we should see if anyone else is as excited as me. Mr Andy Saunders, are you excited? Why did you say good evening? It's 11 o'clock in the morning. Yes, but you know this will be edited late at night and we like to give the feel that we're live and happening and then... All right, good morning, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Am I excited? Uh, Yes. Yes, I am excited. I mean, not crazy excited, not going down the bridge and, you know, getting the tube and sitting in a stadium and watching a, you know, a match excited. But yeah, excited to see the team again, excited to... Um, you know, experience the Premier League again. There's an element of jeopardy because of the competition element of it, so I think we can get invested in it, but it's going to be strange. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no doubt that it's going to be strange, but now that we've tried, and I know you're a, a, a big supporter of German football, um, I, now that we've tried to watch German football and found ways to partially enjoy the games, to actually think about your own team out there playing that that's going to change the whole landscape of how we view games being played in empty stadiums i guess well if you've got 
something to watch it for, it makes sense. So I watched the RB Leipzig game at the weekend because I wanted to watch Timo Werner. Who yeah. hopefully is 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 Chelsea bound, but um, so there was some reason to watch it, so I could get involved in it. But previously, when I was watching German football and thinking, I don't really care about either of these teams, and I don't really care or know what the backstory is or what they're playing for. I couldn't I couldn't really find myself getting interested in it. But we know that there's still a Premier League to play for. You know my views on it. You know it's not the same league, so therefore I don't think it's a particularly valid competition. But there is that element of jeopardy, and I think that'll make it worth watching. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Well, well, we'll get on to Team Averna and other things after we've heard from a roundup from Naz in a bit. But how's your week been? Have you been getting back to normality, if we, any of us ever know what normality is anymore? Well, it's not normality because I'm not seeing anybody, but I'm reasonably busy. I've got things to be getting on with. I am working during the day rather than just watching Netflix. So I guess, I guess so. I mean, weekends don't really mean anything anymore. That's that's the odd thing. There's no sense of an end of the week. I'm still sort of working over the weekend or there's no break in the week. There's an element of, of, you know, rhythm in the week now that's seven days rather than five days, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, being self-employed for me, I find I could just as easily do some work on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon as a Tuesday afternoon. Um, it's it's a movable feast, I think, if you're self-employed. But I, well, I am. I mean, I am self-employed, and and uh, yes, I, I, of course, I could I could do that. But the industry that I work on does still work primarily from monday to friday so there was always that uh, that or sense of well it's friday afternoon we get saturday and sunday to watch football and we'll come back on monday but because that isn't happening because people are working from home because they are flexible in their hours there doesn't seem to be that break and i'm missing that a little bit i like weekends yeah i mean that was actually what i was about to complete and, and say was the fact that even though you're self-employed, you are more a Monday to Friday self-employed person, whereas someone like myself, because I'm doing my own projects invariably. Because you rarely work. <laughs> Something like that. Yes, well, we won't go into that. You know <laughs> I work damn hard. But uh, it, it is the weekends... I've never really understood, but you are an advocate of a weekend. So it, it has to be strange when actually... What are your touchstones for knowing where you are in the week? For me, doing the podcast on a Tuesday is usually a touchstone, although sometimes we've done it on Monday. So there are these weird little indicators that we find where we are in the week. Do you have things like that? No. (laughs) (laughs) Monday mornings, I think. Just Monday mornings, because people tend to you know set the agenda for the week on a monday morning but apart from that it's like christmas i don't know what day of the week it is a lot of the time yeah it's 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 an odd time is time is very fluid at the moment i i have days where you know i start at at my desk at 8am and i look up and suddenly it's 6pm and i've worked really hard all day and other days where time goes really slowly and other days where it's suddenly bedtime and what happened to the whole day? It's every time is very liquid at the moment. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I've I've decided, as you know, for some weeks now, to change my day. So I've been waking at half five and going to work at quarter six, six o'clock every morning, and. I, I really am enjoying it, especially this time of year when it's light out there. I can't get up at that time in the morning. No, it's, it, I can't do it. Too many years of going to bed late. Oh, just, me too. 
Me too. I can't but... do it. I don't know how you do it. Well, I don't know how you get up at half past. I mean, occasionally I'll get up at that time in the morning to go fishing. Occasionally. But it's a real struggle. I couldn't do it every day. Well, I, I also have it, I suppose, in my DNA a bit because years ago, um, before I was doing filmmaking and, and what have you, I used to have an antique shop and I used to do all the um, early morning markets around, well, around the country, really, which would often mean I'd have to get up at three and you'd be at these markets at half three, four in the morning, whether it's Bermondsey or Covent Garden or Camden Passage or down to Bristol or Bath. And, and I, I understood the difference of, of having a day before everyone else's and you'd be having breakfast or a pint at half eight in the morning because that was the equivalent of everyone else's half five in a kind of a weird way. So I've always loved the early mornings. Once I stopped doing those markets, I stopped getting up so early. Um, but I'm, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's, it's still in me to get up early and enjoy it. And I'm one of those annoying people. I wake up and I'm awake. So I'm the same when I wake up as halfway through the afternoon, which is irritating for my missus, I am certain. Um, there's no waking up period. So I like the early mornings. I, I mean, I like it. Don't get me wrong. Whenever I do it, I think it's a fabulous time of the morning. It's beautiful to watch the day start and it's quiet and the sense of, that you get of you've achieved loads before 10am is amazing. I get that. And, you know, I've never met a, a, a postman that isn't interesting because a postman finish at two o'clock or whatever and they tend to have really interesting lives and do interesting things um and people that do have those early morning lives tend to be interesting and the reason a lot of them take those jobs is to give them the time to do that interesting stuff so no i, I get it i'm just incapable of doing it i just i tend to get <laughs> up at eight o'clock in the morning and go to bed at one you know that's my that's my time you know that's that's my my circadian rhythm yeah and um, to be fair i'm i'm normally like that it's 12 o'clock is the normal sort of bedtime but um yeah i've been going to bed at sort of 10 10 30 it always sneaks into 11 so i'm not going to bed that much earlier i'm just having less sleep but i'm enjoying it and um, yeah no good for you i mean if i could i would because i think it's i think especially this time as you say when the days are really long i mean it's still light at quarter to 10 at the moment it's crazy yeah and and it's light at about half past four yeah um, you know so but it's, and that's the depressing thing about june isn't it after whatever it is june the 15th or whatever the day the days start getting shorter don't they doom and gloom after the <laughs> yeah. solstice yeah exactly which uh i suppose you won't be able to go down to stonehenge as usual will you and and do your druid stuff <laughs> no well glastonbury's not happening this year is it so no i was just thinking of andy the druid but maybe you're not really a druid um no no it's not it's not my thing to be honest no, I, I, that's why I was thinking it would be quite funny to imagine you as the least likely druid of them all. But, yeah. uh, but you know. Um, I don't but, like the clothes. <laughs> I don't like the uniform. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's one size fits all half the time, isn't it? Mm. But, um, but yeah, and the other, the other thing is that, you know, about getting up early in the morning is all the birds and the dawn chorus and people said talk more bird stuff well actually i had a sad bit of bird stuff this morning um we have Are you a sure you need to talk because you got trolled for that i know i don't care listen to me welcome to the chelsea bird hour 
<laughs> no, I mean, one sad bit of news. We get a, a great spotted woodpecker in the garden, and um, I found him dead this morning underneath the, the uh, tree. Oh, no. um, yeah, I of think. What been do you think? Sparrowhawk, I would have thought. It was oh. so vicious. I mean, you could see. It, it, there was a, a like a stab wound to its head, it's and quite one... a big bird for a sparrowhawk to attack. Mm, isn't it? Sparrow... Don't they tend to don't they tend to go for either slow moving birds like pigeons or or um, yeah, but or a pigeons, sparrows. A, pigeon, <laughs> a, a, a pigeon's twice the size of a woodpecker. No, but it's slow moving, isn't it? I mean, woodpeckers are fairly fairly big. Well, I mean. No, they're not. I mean, they're not much bigger than your hand, a, a woodpecker. Really? When you see, okay. yeah, I'm when surprised. you see them up close, yeah, they're they're much smaller than you realise. Right. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of sad because I'm hoping that the rest of the family. Well, I um, uh, put it in the bin. Oh. You know, thought about burying it, burying it, but I don't know. The dog would probably dig it up, so yeah, you can't yeah. just chuck it in a field. So yeah, said a few things, words. Woodpeckers. Oh, unbelievably beautiful. Um, but it's so tragic when you see it just lying there with half its face ripped off and eaten. And um, mm. Anyway, so that's the bird update for the week. Um, and have you been out doing fishing or is that now starting no, to disappear? No, no, no. It's, it's, the weather hasn't been very nice. So I'm a bit of a fair weather fisherman. I, you know, I like to go out when it's nice and warm and sunny and, and uh, it's been cold and rainy. So uh, I shall wait for more clement weather uh, to do that. I haven't really done a huge amount, to be honest. No. I've just uh, been working and, uh, and getting on with it. And, and uh, yeah, that's it, really. Fair enough. Well, look, what I'm going to do is I think we should hear from uh, Nizar Kinsella, Gold.com's Chelsea correspondent, um, before we do anything else, because he touches on a a lot of the things we'll be talking about. So it's probably best to go over to Naz and hear what he's got to say about the week that he's just had. Hi, this is Nizar Kinsella, Gold's Chelsea correspondent, reporting for the Chelsea um, this week, we've got a step closer to the Premier League's return. Um, we've got the Chelsea's uh, return date. It's 21st of June, the Sunday kickoff against Aston Villa away. The game we've been waiting for for months and months. Uh, doesn't seem like a biggie, but certainly feels like it now after so long, so long of anticipation uh, for it. And yeah, I mean, relegation zone, top four, all on the line in this game. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that, to get the sort of date of when we're coming back has sort of helped me with my work and you can kind of build to something and focus on something so yeah it was a bit of a morale boosting week from that regard and I think for Chelsea fans the bigger morale boost was probably uh, the signing of Timo Werner Um, now we've not got official confirmation yet but um, it's as good as done, really, as far as I understand. And, uh, yeah, you know, he had a release clause. Chelsea activated it. Liverpool, uh, for a long time, seemed like they were going to sign him. Um, and, the, you know, this coronavirus crisis sort of gave them second thoughts. And, and then Chelsea, uh, thinking differently with different uh, financial pressures or, or, or to a lesser extent, uh, you know, uh, they might have some money to spend after... Um, a year of not spending money with the transfer ban and with with disappointment in January. So they just thought Timo Werner come to Chelsea and he agreed. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a a cracking sign. And I think there's a lot of excitement about it. And and that's on top of Hakim Zayek. So a big part of my working week, although it kind of broke late last week, was uh, working on that. And then, 
you know, uh, as a reporter, we're getting closer to maybe being allowed in the stadiums. There's still a question mark on that. Um, so, yeah, it was still a case of conducting interviews and things like that. So I wrote a piece about how... Uh, um, you know, Porto won the Champions League, but specifically focusing on their win over Manchester United in, in 2004, where, um, you know, Jose Mourinho needed a bit of help from Tim Howard. And maybe we wouldn't have had the special one had Tim Howard not flapped at the ball and had Costinha not netted the goal. And, and I spoke to Costinha, and it was very interesting having that chat and, and sort of seeing how it went. And, and, you know, Mourinho and he still talk about it to this day. And uh, there was also uh, the case that they fell out before the game and, and almost he didn't play. So, yeah, I mean, how things could have been very different. Um, and, yeah, uh, the other thing I, was, I sort of did this week as well that might be of interest is uh, I interviewed Lucas Piazon. Um, I think he's the longest serving foreign player um, on the books at Chelsea, longer than Cesar Aspilicueta and William. Um, so this this young lad who arrived from Brazil when he was 17 at Stamford Bridge, uh, still unknown. Um, but yeah, he just had a kid during lockdown and I, I spoke to him about that and, and sort of growing up on loan at Chelsea um, and, and the sort of the challenges and benefits of that. Um, yeah, perhaps he didn't live up to his, you know, billing as a sort of wonder kid, but you know, he's still having a good career in football and, and, and that's a kind of success really, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think this week I've got other week off, so maybe my update next week won't be so good, but decided to take the week off ahead of football kick-starting again. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's been been sort of a, a positive week, I think. I think we're seeing light at the end of the tunnel, and, and I hope you guys are feeling like I do and, and feeling positive about it all. So, yeah, best of wishes, and uh, speak to you guys again soon. Stay safe. And we're back. So, yep, that was Naz uh, going through his week, uh, again doing interviews. Um, interesting that he's talked to Lucas Piazon. Um, he he was like the Brazilian wonder kid, wasn't he, that we had supposedly signed? He was the signed. new caca, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. He was the new caca um, because he vaguely looks like him, I think. Yeah. <laughs> And it was uh, really quite, uh, I don't know, it, it's got to be hard when you're built up as a player. I mean, there are players that will appear in this week's um, The Chels that will have had labels about them. Um, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, that, that once you label a player before you've seen them play, it doesn't half put a lot of pressure on them, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And uh, we, we were, all, we're all guilty of it. Yeah, we are, um, you know, but uh, we'll get to some of the others later. I, I guess also, he, you know, he talks there about he's now going to have a week off in preparation for next week. Um, but he's still waiting to find out if he's going to be allowed into the actual games to, to watch them. Um, what's your views on who should be in the stadiums for these games? Do you think journalists should be in there? Because uh, I was listening to one of the German games and when somebody scored a goal, there seemed like an awful lot of people in the ground. Yeah, it, it's all. I just think it's inconsistent, Kerry. That, that's the problem. Is well, all the players have to quarantine for fourteen days. That's fine. And then the support staff. I don't know what what the deal is with them. And then, of course, there's, there has to be some level of medical staff in there. And and if we're going to let journalists in, how are we going to do that? And presumably, they're all touching things. And uh, you know, I, who knows? I don't. I, I don't. Do I have an opinion? I mean, I'm, my opinion is. Um, I'm not sure this should be going ahead, really. 
that that's my opinion. Um, but I, I don't know. Let, let's see how it all works out. Yeah, the, the other thing I'm confused about, maybe you can help me here, although I have a feeling you'll be the same as me. Um, last week it was reported that a Tottenham uh, player tested positive. Um, I find it really strange that we're not told who it is that's tested positive. And does that not mean that the rest of the team has to go and quarantine? quarantine? I, I don't really understand. Once a player is tested and is found to be positive, what the implications are for the rest of the squad. Who knows? Look, we all know this is about money. It's about nothing else but money. It's about fulfilling the contractual obligations that the Premier League has to the various broadcasters, which it's taken money off. So I, I would imagine that there's an awful lot of stretching and bending and manipulating of the guidelines and the rules to make these games happen. But yes, you're right. If somebody has been tested positive, it's the natural train of thought is that you would have to consider quarantining quarantining everybody else or at least testing everybody i don't know it just seems bizarre to me but aren't we in a bit of a, a strange breakdown of um communications now i mean we've talked about this the last couple of weeks but information and specific information is harder and harder to come by and all the rules seem to be sort of um i don't know in some sort of quantum physical world where things expand and contract and we're not quite sure i was reading today about people coming on the first flights back to this country who are meant to go into quarantine and the advice is you've got to go into quarantine don't see anybody but if you do have to get public transport or a a taxi then so be it it's it's all a bit woolly and um I, i just fear that this is the crucial moment to get the rules absolutely right as we move forward into hopefully a lessening of lockdown. Yeah, well, you know what my views on that are. Yeah. I've, ma- I've made those very clear yeah. on previous podcasts. You yeah, have. I think, mes- I think the messaging is terrible and has been from the start, and I think it's going to... Uh, there'll be a reckoning when we look back on it on, on how this was handled. Yeah. No, I, okay. Well, look, I suppose we, we will spend more time talking about football today because football is coming back. Um, now... One thing I would say is the one thing you've always been totally clear on, Andy, is you do not speculate. So excuse me for being slightly bemused, but uh, last week I got a text from you saying this looks as though it's going to be done. And No, you... that's not what it says. <laughs> It's not what I said, was it? I if you're going to libel, if you're going to libel me, Kerry, at least get it accurate. <laughs> what did I said, you say? I, I said this looks like it's escalating fast. That's and it does. Because... That was your first line. Actually, you're yeah. right. I just don't have it to hand. No, you're right. So, Andy, um, okay, technically, that wasn't speculating for, uh, what you said about um, Timo Werner. It does look as though it has turned into a situation whereby he may well become a Chelsea player. There's the odd little. Uh, moment at the moment where I think the chairman at Leipzig says there's been no offer, but it, it, all the journalists you ever listen to at the moment, they all seem to be saying it's a done deal. Um, do you still feel positive about it, even though we've had a little bit of negative stories coming out? 
Look, unless he's standing on the pitch at Stamford Bridge holding the shirt, I'm never positive. So this is what I mean about speculation. But all the indicators are, and all the um, all, all the the reports are that it's dotting the i's and crossing the t's. So I think you can feel hopeful, but you're going to look like a bit of a mug if it happens like William did at Tottenham and he decides to go to Liverpool at the last minute. So until it's absolutely announced on the, the official club website and there's a picture of him holding the shirt, I think we have to just be slightly cautious but as i said to you in my text it looks like it's escalating fast everybody seems to think it's going to happen so i think it's a reasonably fair assumption to say he's coming and it's a very chelsea kind of way to do it as as you've talked about in the past the the truth is with chelsea when the player's about to sign it just suddenly appears from nowhere and to be fair for weeks everyone in the world thought that Werner was going to liverpool and suddenly Everything comes out that it's not happening and he's, he's coming to Chelsea. Chelsea are, I think, the past masters at, uh, you know, uh, smoke and mirrors on transfers. Yeah, we discussed that last week, yeah. didn't we, when we said uh, Chelsea are very good at conducting their business uh, behind closed doors and not playing it out in the media. OK, so here's, here's the question. Um, Robert Ray, friend of the show... He wrote in that his question was, if Timo Werner comes, will he play up front with Tammy or will it be one or the other? What are your well, views? Well, the thing about Timo is that he's a very versatile player in the sense that he can play right across the front line and he can also drop deep. So the opportunity for him to play with Tammy is certainly there because he can do that. Whether you'd want to sacrifice two wide players in that front three in Pulisic or um, Hudson-Odoi or Zayek or, or any of these wire players to, to accommodate him in, in a front three with Tammy is another thing. But he can do it. I think it is a real quandary how you do that me I, I just think you play the best player in the position uh, in the formation that you think is going to win the game so I don't think it's a case of accommodating I think it's a case of who is the best forward to play in this position if we can play two that's great uh, but if we can't then who's the best to play then you play them on merit I think Tammy's probably done enough to uh, be given equal billing uh, with Werner I don't think he should necessarily be immediately dropped to accommodate Werner um, but that's good that there's competition for that for that particular place and if they can play both of them great but I, I do think that it would be a shame to sacrifice uh, width uh, to accommodate them just so they can both play. Yeah, and does it concern you that Tammy still hasn't signed a contract? Is that well, in the back of your mind at all? Or Nah, I just think it's uh, that's that's just agent talk and, and, and club talk and it's nothing really to do with us. If he doesn't sign a contract, that's a shame. But um, I think he's got a great opportunity at Chelsea and I think that he probably feels very loved here. He's been given opportunities. He's very early in his career. And I think Chelsea will try and convince him to stay. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, it is quite an interesting uh, tweet from Aston Taylor who asks and, and says, the interesting thing about Werner is that he can play as a second stroke wide forward, but he can play up top as a nine, as we've just talked about. He said, we've not had that kind of player since Nicholas Anelka. Um, and uh, I, think, I think that's quite a good analogy. Anelka was one of those, wasn't he? Um, he was able to come in, drift in from wide, and take up a central position when necessary. So, 
Maybe, maybe he can provide the same kind of thing. Although Anelka, for me, I, I don't know how you viewed Anelka. I thought he was a wonderful player, but he he was hot and cold, and you kind of did get the feeling that he had to really want to play that day to play. Yeah, I don't think that his attitude was the best, and yeah, there was no doubt about his talent, and he was a golden boot winner for us. It, it, you know, there was an, an awful lot to like about Nicholas Anelka, but you never really warmed to him. Never felt that he was uh, giving it a hundred percent. Even even if maybe he was, maybe it was just the way he conducted himself or carried himself. But it never felt like he did. The problem with players like that is because they they don't necessarily have a defined position. They can also they can also be a little bit frustrating if they drift out of the game if they're not if they're not given a specific role in the team. So it's interesting. The other thing, of course, is Werner is used to playing with another striker. Um, so, you know, he's playing on his own up front. Does he hold the ball up as well as Tammy? Does he have the attributes and the presence to play on his own up front? I mean, we'll find all this stuff out. So it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, but I think you've hit on it there. Fascinating and exciting. And it's, it's, there's no it's, doubt he's a brilliant player. There's yeah. no doubt he's an absolutely superb forward. He's got pace to burn. He's a ruthless finisher. Or he did miss a couple in the game at the weekend. Um, but he's, you know, he provides assists. He looks like he wants to play football and enjoys playing football. There's an awful, and I think that, you know, he's also, um, you know, one of the most hated players in Germany by all accounts. Um, you know, they don't like him over there, the German fans, and didn't like him in the national team. So he has that sort of Marmite quality about him, which if he plays for you, you love him, and other teams might end up despising him. So I, I always like a player like that. I like a Dennis Wise or a, or a Costa um, player where, where he's very divisive when it comes to other players. It tends to make us focus on, on him and support him even more. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe that's an 11 we could do in the coming weeks, the most divisive 11. Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's that's not a bad one, actually. Make a note of that. It's a good one. Exactly. Because also, Werner, I think he he annoys people because he went to Leipzig, which there's a a furore, isn't there, in Germany about how they've come from nowhere. It's financial doping, isn't it? Exactly. So, you know, I mean, God forbid we'd ever be guilty of anything like that. Thankfully, you know, it's all hard-earned money that's bought our players and mm. um and but this is the quite an interesting moment for us transfer wise because if the Werner deal goes through and the Zayek deal has gone through um we're suddenly getting a return from having sold Hazard and Murata because I believe that 48 million or whatever from Murata comes in now as well so suddenly we're seeing that we have the ability to buy, not having been able to buy last summer and couldn't find anybody in January, we, we're in quite a powerful situation because a lot of the rumours you hear from other clubs is they can't afford to buy at the moment. And us buying these, these kind of players, will that kickstart other teams to go, actually, we need to buy more to compete? Well, who knows? I mean, we know who the, the the clubs in the market are. We know that Man United are desperate to buy. We know that Liverpool are making noises about wanting to buy. City will always be in the market to buy. Everybody else, who knows? Whether Arsenal can afford it, whether Spurs can afford it, it's going to be uh, interesting and um, you know to see to see what happens with the financial situation around a lot of these clubs. 
Okay, so here's the question for whatever happens. Um, you, you know, that, well, actually, we'll get, we'll get on to this question, um, actually, which is about, um, Graham Rennie asks, where do we need to strengthen in the transfer market? What do we still need to get, do you think, in this team right now for next season? I think we probably need a goalkeeper. I don't think Kepper is the long-term answer, although I don't think the club want to burn the money that they spent on him. They want to make sure that they can get a return on him before they bring in someone like Donnarumma or, uh, or, or you know, someone of that of that level. Um, I think we definitely need a left back, and so all those conversations that are going on around Ben Chilwell at the moment are interesting. Um, and I think we probably need a proper goal-scoring, attacking midfielder. Not necessarily to start every game, but I think we probably need one to bring on. Because if you look at our midfield, there's not a huge amount of goals in there still. And that, and that, that does concern me and has concerned me for a couple of seasons. Maybe Ruben Loftus-Cheek, a fully fit Ruben Loftus-Cheek, is that player. Um, but I can't see Billy Gilmore smashing in. Uh, 15 goals a season or Ross Barkley whether he'll still be there you know we're losing William we're losing Pedro they're both goals Um, so I I think we probably do need a few more goals from that midfield area striker wise I think we're strong if we get Werner Werner, Abraham and Giroud is decent three strikers I think we're good wide Um, so and and defensively could we get a world class centre back I wouldn't turn one down if it was given to us yeah, I, th- I think they're, they're all valid points. I, I think probably the, the most important one for me right now is uh, a, a left back, one who can defend and one who can attack. That's a rare, rare combination in, in a full back, as, as we well know. The amount of players we've had who've been really good at attacking, but have not been any good at defending or ones who are good at defending, but not so good at attacking. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a there's a few issues. I agree with you also. We about want Ashley Cole, don't we, really? That's yeah. what we want. I would love Ashley. I bet it'd still be good anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I miss it. We, we've never really replaced him. We've, no, we haven't. We, 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 he was the finest left back, I would say, at Chelsea in the whole time that I've watched Chelsea. I, I think he's just, just wonderful and he was a marvel. And the amount of times he'd bail out a centre-half who'd just got caught napping or whatever and just come up round the back and clean the ball up and take it. Just just amazing. An amazing player. He really I would was. have liked to have seen Graham Lasso a generation later and see what he would have done in a Mourinho team or in, in, in a team like that to see whether he would have been as good at the elite Premier League level because he was a great, a great, great player. But, uh, you know, I, we, we think of Ashley because we think of the trophies and we think what a fantastic player he is. But Graham Lasso was an amazing left back as well. I think that's a good shout. I, yeah, I'd, I'd have them. I'd still just pick Ashley over. Lasso. I think I probably would as well. But but it's but speculation, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Exa- and we don't do that on this show. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Graham Lasso for me, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful player. So yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Okay, so the the question that I want to ask is. It's a very interesting time coming up. Is this, do you think, in a strange way, the toughest time for a long, long time for a manager, i.e. Frank, to choose his squad, let alone his team? Because he's got so many options in certain areas. Um, it's, it's a real becoming, OK, he's had this starting period, but now everyone's getting back fit. New players are being bought. 
we've known from the, the highest level managers how hard it is to keep a squad happy. Do you think Frank has got what it takes about him to look after all these players? Because from what we can understand, if the Timo Werner deal comes through and the Zayek deal has happened, he was instrumental in getting both of those players to come to Chelsea. He took time to talk to them, apparently, and they were impressed by what they heard. Do you think he's got that uh, factor X about him? Well, it depends what you mean by that, because if you look at a manager like Mourinho, he didn't particularly look after his players. You know, he would sign players and then not not play them, you know. So he, he just did what was best for Chelsea or best for the team or what would win him games. It wasn't a case of rotation. Someone like Ranieri wants to make everybody happy all the time and rotates constantly. But Mourinho was, well, I've got 11 untouchables and the rest of you will just have to wait your turn, essentially. Um, and, you know, that did that did cause conflict with certain players. If you look at Kevin De Bruyne, for example, who wasn't given an opportunity and said so very, very vocally. So you have managers like that. I don't know where Frank sits on the particular spectrum, whether he's a pleaser or whether he's a ruthless winner. Uh, I think he's trying to figure that out at the moment. I think Frank will play teams that he thinks will win games rather than keep players happy. That's what I hope. That's what I think good managers do. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think he's actually more ruthless than you realise. And I think... Well, he's a winner. He's yeah, personally he a winner. You know, as a player, he was a winner. And he's worked under winners. He's worked under Mourinho. Um, and I think that that will have informed his mentality as a manager. Uh, I agree with you. I think we will see that... I think he likes having players to be happy but he will choose what's best for the team. When, when you read some of the, the books where he's talked about and how he's been inspirational in the dressing room, quite a lot of the time, but when it came, came down to it, he would speak his mind. And I, I think he's got that about him. I think, he's got, I think he's got a little bit of the devil about him, which I think you need to succeed at the highest level. I get the sense that Frank Lampard is the kind of person that doesn't say a huge amount, but when he does, you listen. Yeah, I'd and agree. I think that that's you know that was his presence in the dressing room. I think that he probably, when he did say something, it probably carried some weight. And I think his issue is going to be in midfield. That I mean, I've done a few, as I'm sure we all have, sort of sketched out what we think the team might look like. And the midfield is is a massive quandary because how do you fit Kovacic, Jorginho, Kante, Gilmore, Ruben Loftus Cheek? You know, and Mason and, and Mount, Mason Mount. You know, that's six. How do you how do you fit six into three if we're going to play four three three? How, how do you do that? How do you how do you rotate that? How do you how do you keep everybody happy? And and there's other players as well. So it's it's difficult. Where does Kante fit in? Where does Jorginho fit in? You know, where where do where, does Mason Mount become a key player for us, or does he do what he's done up to date? You know, which is come in and come out. Is Kovacic a key player now? Can you drop him? It's so that's the midfield is really difficult. He's going to have to really figure that out. Well, I think Mason Mount, I mean, hasn't he played more minutes than anyone else, apparently? Yeah, possibly. But, you know, he had a, he's had injuries as well. And, 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 and also as well, you, you look at Mason Mount and you think, well, are, what, what do you, where, do you, where do you fit in? Is it, is it Mason Mount plus two? In which case, does Jorginho get a game? Does he leave? Kovacic did have an amazing season. But what about Kante, player of the year? 
It's like it's Ruben Loftus Cheek. He might score us some goals. Do we, so do we bring him in? It's you know Billy Gilmore. He he finished the season amazing. He could be the future. So where where does this all figure out? You know it's difficult, isn't it? They've all you know what we're, we're not even talking about here is Ross Barkley. You know Ross Barkley, who presumably is on his way out because I can't see him getting even into our second team with that lineup in midfield. No, and it, you would say that probably Frank feels as though probably this season his his initial season he's been blessed by in because he hasn't had to make some of those decisions. So what it feels like when he's got a full squad in front of him, and by the sounds of it, just about everybody is fit and raring to go for, for the rest of this mm, truncated season. Um, yeah, I've, I've no idea. I mean, OK. Who does he di- play in defence? I mean, he's got Rudiger, Zuma, Christensen and Tamore. He's got four centre-backs, all of whom have got a shout by the way they've played this season. Who does he go for? How does he figure that out? Because all great teams, particularly all title-winning teams, have very, very settled defences. And I get the sense that he hasn't figured out who his starting back four are at the moment. Okay, well, do you you want to have a go at picking our starting eleven against Villa? Because John actually uh, asked us if we would have a go at naming our starting eleven. This is presuming everybody's fit, Yes, yes. Um, uh, I have to do it kind of off the top of my head. Yeah, no, I mean, it it wasn't one of our questions I was going to ask this week, but it's because you're now looking at who does he pick here. Okay, Um, well, okay, off the top of my head, I I guess, presuming we haven't got a new goalkeeper, so Kepa in goal. Yep. Um, I would go James at right back, uh, Rudiger and Tamore in the middle. And um, I suppose you'd have to go for Alonso because we haven't signed a left back at the moment. Um, In midfield, I think I would probably go... Shall I give my defence an answer to yours then? Go on. Do that. I would go uh, Rhys James. I, I agree, Kepper and goal. Rhys James, I'd go Zuma and Tamori and Azpilicueta. That's yes, my on the left. Okay, fine. Uh, midfield, I'm going to go for midfield three. I think I'd probably go Mount Kante Kovacic. Fully fit Kante. I think it would be very vastly different than the Kante we saw last season. So I'm assuming it's a fully fit Kante, uh, Mount and Kovacic. I, I would go with that three with you, spot on for me. It, 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 uh, that is also meaning, do you mean that Kante would play deeper or Kovacic would play deeper? I think, I think you'd have to say that Kante would play slightly deeper. I see. I think what Frank will do is play Kovacic deeper. I don't, I don't know. Is the answer? But <laughs> okay. you know, it, it would be. It, you know, it would be a fairly fluid. That was a fairly fluid midfield. Yeah. Um, and up front, I think. Can we play Zayek? Are we allowed to play Zayek? No, because he's not with us until next season. Okay. Uh, well, then I, I guess William, Abraham, and Pulisic. Yeah, I would, I, I'd go. I think I, I think I'd go along with that. William Abraham and Pulisic. I, I think that's spot on for me. Yeah. So I think parts of the team kind of pick themselves at this well, point until, in time. Until we start bringing players in, you know, yeah. until we until until we start bringing players in, or until we start messing with the format. Because if he goes three at the back, then that changes everything. So who knows? It's going to yeah. be it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's absolutely fascinating. And, and then when you bring in Zayek and then Timo, well, who yeah. knows? Anyway, yeah. well, look, let's, let's move from Timo 
to Tino. Uh, Tino Angerin. He's just signed a new five-year contract at Chelsea. I like him a lot. I loved him when I saw him against Grimsby. Okay, he had a bit of a wild game against Everton. But there are high hopes for him as a player, aren't there? Yeah, there are. And he's big and he's quick and he's direct. And if he can go on the same trajectory as a player like Tammy Abraham, then what's not to like? I think it's great that we've tied a talented youngster down to a long-term situation that we can work with and nurture and develop and hopefully bring him through and you know hopefully he doesn't get frustrated i would imagine he'll he'll go out on loan and do what a lot of our other players have done if we've got three strikers i doubt i doubt we'll keep a fourth um hanging around so he needs to go somewhere and develop as a player but yes if if you know after a couple of years he's smashing it then there's no reason why we can't start to integrate him into the first team yeah, because he's more of an attacking midfielder, isn't he, than an out-and-out striker. I mean, he could be that kind of player. That, he could be. Yeah, he know. could be. He could be that. He could be that player. Depending on, uh, it depends how how he develops as a as a player physically and mentally and technically over the next couple of years. And I think you're right. He's one of those. I guess will go out on loan, but that you have really... to give these players football. You can't just yeah. keep them in suspended animation and then pick them off the shelf and say, right, it's your turn. You've got to bat- battle harden them basically. Yeah, I think it's an education. You send them out and and get them out there. Okay, well, uh, just before we go to the break, um, I just thought I'd say uh, Carl Eldridge, sorry, excuse me, Carl Eldridge uh, wrote in and um, he said, oh, have we answered his question? I know he's a few episodes behind. His question was, what is the one trophy we blew? When When should we have won something and just threw it away? And I think we answered this the other week, didn't we? And and we can categorically state that we feel it was that that semi-final against Monaco in the Champions League. That was a trophy we blew, wasn't it? Yeah, Ranieri's fault. 100%. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Sack we, 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 did, we did discuss that at some length. So. Yeah, okay. All right, well, look, let's, let's go to the break and we'll be back in a minute. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Okay, so we're back. Right, more of your questions. Oh, this is one that we've been... uh, Chris Harley, I know we mention you every week, Chris. You suggested a fat and thin 11. Well, I think we're going to try and do that next week, but we'll do that live between us because I'm sure it'll be quite contentious of deciding who's fat and who's thin. So we'll do that probably between us. But So this week, it's Dave Eagleton's A Worst Signings 11. So, Andy, did you have fun doing this? Yeah, it was a lot to choose from. (laughs) (laughs) I've gone 4-3-3. Okay. Do you want me to go? Yeah, go for it. 
Well, I think you have to put Jürgen Macho in goal. <laughs> so have I. You have to, because he yeah. didn't play for us. Yeah. You know, he came and he didn't play any games, and then he left. <laughs> so yeah. you have to say that's a bad signing. He did actually go on to have a reasonable career, but he got a terrible injury, didn't he? And, yeah, uh, he did. Uh, so not, not really his fault, but not a great signing. Um, at right back, I had Khalid Boularouz, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the cannibal. Um, who you know had a couple of decent games. He had one particularly good game against Barcelona when he really marshaled Ronaldinho very well. But generally, I just think look, look to fish out he, water. He was the butcher of Bilbao, wasn't he? He was that the cannibal. Was he? Was he can, I, I think I thought he was called the butcher as well. Maybe it was the no, cannibal as well. The cannibal. I thought it was, it was also the butcher. Okay. Um, my centre backs: Papis Dilabodji. Oh, I forgot because about him. Brilliant call. What was the point? Of, <laughs> what was the point of him? He played one minute for us. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he came as a sub for one minute and then went away. Um, and uh, also Tal Ben, 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 ben Hayim, yeah, who sort of came in as in, in a sort of Mourinho fit of peak, didn't he? Really, who was moaning about not being given any signings, and then the only signing we made was him from Bolton, and he actually played a few games, and he wasn't terrible, but. You know, and he also really f- badly fell out with um, uh, Avram Grant. You know, who said if he'd known Avram Grant was going to be the manager, then he would have never have come. He's still playing. He's still playing in yeah. Israel. He's thirty-eight. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so sorry, mate. You're in my worst signings. And then Baba Rahman at left back, <laughs> who again was a pointless signing. Came in, looked like a fish out of water. Didn't look like he could play football. Uh, went out on loan, is still on loan, is still yeah. a Chelsea player. His his contract with us expires in August of this year, but basically we have, for the last four years, been shifting him out on loan to various clubs around Europe. Who was your okay. defence? Uh, my defence was Jürgen Macho in goal. Uh, yeah. I feel very sorry for him, and we've only kind of remembered him because Naz in- interviewed him the other week. Um, but yeah, my back four, I had... In, in the centre, Tal Ben Haim and Khalid Boularouz, the playing both okay. in the centre. And then my full-backs were Winston Bahade, um or Winston Bogard, you know, the man who we signed. I um, know, oh, he's in my midfield, yeah. Oh, OK, you've got him. All right, well, we all know about him. And Asie Del Horno. Oh, uh, yeah, no, that, that's fair enough. Although, you know, again... Not a terrible player. I didn't think he was a terrible player. He had that terrible game against Barcelona and well, Messi, he got, didn't he? Well, he got Messi and he got, got him sent, sent off. off. Yeah, and Messi he never came back off. right. No, Messi got him sent off. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't. Uh, that was a dodgy decision, I think. <laughs> yeah, a little, little bit harsh on Del Hano, I think. I don't think he was a bad player. It wasn't great. Uh, um, okay, go. Shall I so go for I've my... got Bahar. I mean, you have to put Bahada in worse signings. You know, yeah. He came in, he, he, he picked up 40 grand a week for four years and then he went away. Um, terrible, terrible signing. Um, uh, Slavisa Djukanovic, who I think is probably the worst player I've ever seen at Chelsea. He was awful. <laughs> awful, green awful, boots, awful, so. awful. Um, and then a fairly recent signing, Bakayoko, I thought was a terrible signing. Um, again, I felt sorry for him because he got terrible abuse off the Chelsea fans. Um, really un- unnecessary abuse. Um, but he wasn't good. He cost an awful lot of money. He was seen as the new Yaya Toure. Another example of a player that vaguely looks like another player, so is given the tag of of that other player. Came from a very impressive Monaco team, but just didn't deliver at Chelsea at all. Went off, did, did okay at Milan, and and and, but it was a, I think, a shocking signing for us. Um, and up front, you could have picked 
you could have picked 10 people up front, couldn't you, frankly? What's your midfield before I do that? Uh, my midfield was Djokanovic, uh, Juan Sebastian Veron. Oh, yeah. Uh, Danny Drinkwater. Yeah, he's on my subs bench. And uh, Yossi Ben Ayoun. Ben Ayoun? Why? Yeah. I just didn't think he did it for us. Yeah, uh, and yeah. he fell out with people. It, it just didn't work. No, I, I didn't rate him, I'm afraid. Uh, I yeah. thought he was... I wouldn't have put him in our worst... I mean, sure, opinion, obviously. I wouldn't have put him in our worst signings. Yeah, just, I, um, I didn't rate didn't him. Like I thought him. he was an average player that, that really... He had flair about him, but he was not... He was too lightweight, and it just seemed like an odd signing at the time, and yeah. I just don't think it ever worked out for him, really. And Fair Danny enough. Drinkwater speaks for itself, sadly. And when Sebastian Veron, you know, he didn't make it a Man U, we were going, hey, look at us, we got, we got and bought Veron from Man U, and you just felt that United were just laughing at us. Um, mm. Beautiful, cultured player, but never actually did it on the pitch for us. I think he one scored one great goal, but mm, first, no. First signings of the... Uh, Abramovich revolution, wasn't he? So Yeah, he was. So up front, what have you got? I take it you've got three up front, have three you? Three up front. Uh okay. obviously, Ke- obviously obviously Kesman, because Kesman was bloody awful. Uh Robert Fleck. Did score a, a goal winning a uh, cup winning goal though? Well yeah. He bundled one <laughs> over the line in the League Cup final. Um yes. he was shocking. Um, and he came with a huge reputation from Holland. Him and Kalu had scored goals for fun over in, in, in Holland. Yeah. And he came as being, you know, another the highly rated striker that just failed to impress. Um, he went on to, uh, I think he went on to, to become an agent and a football, uh, a sort of technical director, somebody, somewhere. Um, and, and expressed some very dodgy views, I think, as well, because I think he's an orthodox Serbian um, uh, Christian, but he's got very homophobic views, so I didn't like him for that. And then uh, Robert Fleck, uh, who came to us from Norwich, having scored goals for fun for them and did absolutely nothing, and Chris Sutton, because Chris Sutton <laughs> is was just shocking. And another player that, you know, scored with Alan Shearer, basically won the league and came to us and just fell to pieces. But on my bench... I've got drink water because you're right. You can't you can't see past him. You know, he's a pointless signing. Uh, Dave Mitchell, uh, Jerry Jarosik, Peter yeah. Nicholas, who I mentioned last week, who I just didn't like at all. Veron, who you mentioned, and I think you've got to put Shevchenko in there as a bad signing for the amount of money that he cost and what he actually did. Although you know he was reasonably um, popular, you know, because he tried hard. And uh, Tony Cascarino as well. And I, I, I sort of wavered over Torres about putting Torres nah. in there because again he was very but but he scored important goals. Um, he scored goals in the, you know the goal in the semi final of the uh, Champions League against Barcelona, the goal in the Europa League Cup final, and you know to win the corner in the Champions League final for for you know that probably justified his fee. I think. Yeah, and no, I I would agree. Well, up front I had two up front, one of which was Robert Fleck, and the other was Sean Wright Phillips. Twenty-one million you pounds. You put Sean Wright Phillips above Kesman, Sutton, and yeah. Cascarino. Yeah, I do. I, th- I thought he was dreadful, and the that's only biz- thing that Kerry, that's no. bizarre. No, he was rubbish, and also he wasn't really a striker. Well, he, he wasn't really anything at Chelsea. And to be fair, you know, the only thing he ever did at Stamford Bridge was score that goal for QPR when he came back. 
Um, and my, so yeah, no, he's in my side. Sorry, but um, I can't believe you've put him in there above some of those other strikers. Well, they're so obvious. I mean, okay, I mean, my subs bench is Mutu, Yuri Zerkov, Yarosik, Sutton, Kesman, Gabriella Ambrosetti, Steve Sidwell, David Zirkov Mitchell. Zerkov wasn't a terrible player. Uh, never did it. David Mitchell and Matt Miazga. So, mm. so, you know, whatever you think and whatever I think, we have bought some poor players at times or, or players that just haven't done it for us. And But not many of that lot went on to do anything anywhere else. You mm. know, I, th- I think once you fail at Chelsea, you fail full stop. So, you know, um, yeah, but that was quite fun to do. That was quite fun. I mean, look, I could have picked, you know, Fleck, Sutton and David Mitchell as the obvious ones up front. Mutu as well. You, you could have, you it's could actually. Half the point, Kerry, is to pick the obvious ones. <laughs> well, no, it's not because otherwise you just say well, the then, same things. But well, I do then, agree. But, but I do then, think all of these the, are the bad. Question was, the question was worst signings. Well, for me, they are the worst signings. I think Sean Wright Gen- Phillips. Do you genuinely think that Sean Wright Phillips is a worse signing than either Cascarino or Kesman, or... Yeah, um, I do. Yeah, I do. Sutton, Blimey. he might be okay. equal with. I, I thought he was awful for us. He never did anything. He was, I, I just remember the Worse ball going Cascarino. over his foot. Uh, Cascarino score, saw score some goals. And, you know, as I said, I saw him put that one over the bar on the goal line, which will, you know, it's always a memory of mine I return to. So, Well, it is yeah. a game of opinions. It is indeed. And luckily I have my own. Um, <laughs> OK, moving on. Um, Ian Collier asks, what was the luckiest goal for Chelsea? He talks, and I was at this game, that Alan Hudson, and I have to agree with him, the Alan Hudson goal against Ipswich in 71-72, I think it was. I was there, and I, I'll never forget it, because once, because <laughs> it hit the stanchion on the side of the net, um, one side of the ground uh, w- was laughing uh, when the decision was given for a goal, and the other side of the ground thought oh well it's obviously a goal it was the bizarrest thing because if you were on that side of the goal you you just saw it hit the outside of the net and the stanchion and bounce back mm. and then the, the none of the players thought it was it was a, a goal either but they all they all took it and moved on a very odd situation what about you can you think of anything in particular well i mean the, this was in reference to the uh, the 10 uh, luckiest goals that were posted on the Chelsea website, um, which I watched. And yes, all of those were were crazy. But the one that wasn't on there that I thought was incredibly lucky was Zappa Costa's goal against Carabag in 2017, when he clearly crossed it from the right-hand side and it went over the goalkeeper's head and into the goal. That wasn't in that collection. And that was a bizarre goal. Um, so that would probably be my one. Oh, fair enough. Okay. Um, all right. Moving on swiftly. Um, Matungi asks, how did you and I first meet? Can you remember? <laughs> I can remember. Oh, go on. You, you say. Uh, I was when was ma- it? Oh, God. It was early 90s, 1991, something like that. You were at Roadrunner Records. Well, it would have been earlier than that, I think. Maybe 89. Maybe 89, yeah. Yeah. You were at Roadrunner Records, and um, I was doing a project with Mike Smith. Um, the, uh, the, what should we, how should we define Mike Smith? 
Well, what would you a very like famous to... music industry yeah. executive. There you go. You always say it so nicely. Mm. Um, and I was making a, doing a project with him and another friend of mine, Matt Longfellow, and we were working with. Um, we were making a film. That's a Chelsea fan as well, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. He is. And we were making a film about uh, an eighty odd year old woman called Di Farrelly, who used to sing these songs on a Casio home organ, and Mike. Um, got it so that we ended up doing a, a housier version of, of her song um, with a, 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 a major producer at the time. And then we took it round to people within the industry to see what they thought and if we could get a deal for her. And um, I think you were that's how we met, because we went to see you and get your opinion. And you pissed yourself laughing, basically, on camera. And it was a very funny moment. And, <laughs> and, and it, was, then I, it was terrible. <laughs> It, it was, but it had something weird about it. Um, but yeah, so we were making this. It wasn't a spoof documentary because it was real, you know. But um, the, the truth was, it was a very odd thing. But it it, it got us in to meet a lot of people, and uh, you and I then found out we were Chelsea fans together, and we kept in touch. And then I I think at some point we went to a game together, and and that was it. That's how I remember it. So, I think that's probably right. I think yeah. that's probably right. It's yeah. a long time ago, though, wasn't it? What's that? Ninety-nine, oh nine. That's thirty years. <laughs> oh God! A long time. Oh, I've had to listen to your opinions for that. You've irritated long. me for thirty years, <laughs> Kerry. Hey, look, the feelings mutual. It's, <laughs> this is a friendship based on irritation. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go. Yeah. Uh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love right. you, really, man. Uh, me too. Um, okay, um, there's a couple of other questions, but we're running out of time, and I guess we no, bang them sh- in. Come on, bang them in. All right, go on in. Okay, Valky asks, "What's your weirdest away European trip?" Well, weirdly, I'm going to mention Carabag twice in the same <laughs> podcast, because I think my weirdest away trip was when I went to Baku for the first time. I went to Baku twice, one for the Europa League final, and one before that when we played Carabag uh, in the uh, Champions League, um, and I think we, we beat them 4-0. Um, and it was just odd going to Azerbaijan for the first time. Uh, there weren't many of us. I think there was only a couple of hundred Chelsea fans went in a stadium of 50,000 Azerbaijanis. And uh, the whole culture shock of it was something very different to what we would normally expect on a football away trip. So, yeah, that was that was a weird uh, but enjoyable. Yeah, was that the time? I know you've told it before. Was that the time you had difficulties getting into the country when they wouldn't when they wouldn't let me in? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you didn't write a, you didn't write your name properly. I put Andy instead of Andrew on my visa, and they wouldn't let me in. And I had to bugger about for ages to get in. But yes, that was a bit weird. How about yeah. you? Uh, I think it's the Bordeaux in the Champions League uh, group phase um, some years ago now. Um, That was a bizarre one. We went to Bordeaux for a few days, um, had a lovely time there. And it was, uh, and uh, I'm sure I've told this a long time ago. Um, It was one of the weirdest places because everything was so cultured. And then the Chelsea fans arrived. And it's all these Chelsea fans wandering around with what would normally be quite expensive bottles of red wine. 
wine, slugging them from the bottles. And it was sort of very heathen-like, and it was very odd. And everyone was very drunk. Everyone was good-humoured. Um, but I just remember going into the ground and having my headphones confiscated off me. And um, I said, but what do I do? And they said, you come back to this little hut here, and they'll be waiting for you at the end of the game. And I thought, oh, well, that's it. I'm never going to see my headphones again. Anyway, come the end of the game, um, there was a, a, a whole cordon of riot police and what have you, and the, the, the place where supposedly my headphones were were the other side of them, and they weren't letting anyone through. And I went up to one of the riot police and I said, excuse me, my headphones are there. And, and suddenly he went, oh, I'm so sorry. Of course, please come this way. And he escorted me to, to the uh, hut, and I got my headphones. And then he took me back and put me the other side of the, the riot guards. And then I just turned to them. I was walking away. I turned round and waved and went, Au revoir! And these riot police, about seven of them, suddenly raised their hands and they went, Au revoir! And I thought that was a really weird moment. And it was kind of one of those... You, you, you're like me. You, you like to explore the city. It was just such a strange experience, the whole thing. It was, yeah, it was fantastic. I loved it. I, I love away European trips. I mean, you've been on a lot more than me. Um, but th- there is something that, that's magical about European nights away, isn't there? Yeah, they they can be fantastic if people, particularly if people, behave themselves. I mean, I'm, I'm all for people letting their hair down and everything, but you know, if it gets a bit silly, it can be annoying. But um, but generally, they they the actual games themselves in a way stadiums are brilliant and you know if you can find interesting things to do during the day that's that's all a bonus yeah all right well look let's go to the first worst and best which this week comes from andy douglas hello my name is andrew douglas i'm fast approaching my 64th birthday and therefore i've been supporting chelsea for close on to 60 years this is my first worst and best chelsea games My first game was in 1966. In fact, it was Christmas Eve. My dad took me along to Stamford Bridge. Chelsea were playing Liverpool. We actually lost the game uh, 2-1. I remember Tommy Boyle scored for Chelsea. But this didn't dampen my spirit at all. In fact, I was in total awe of the ground, the crowd, the atmosphere, the players. Uh, And and if anything, uh, I was even more in love with Chelsea that day. And it started a love affair that's lasted for nearly 60 years. My worst game was against Tottenham Hotspurs in 1975. The significance of this game was um, both teams were down the bottom of the, of the old first division and literally whoever lost the game would be relegated. Um, Chelsea actually played quite well that day. I remember Ray Wilkins missed a fairly easy chance and Pat Jennings pulled off a couple of world-class saves. Um, but Tottenham took their chances. They beat us 2-0 and we lost and therefore we were relegated. But the other thing about that day Um, was that a lot of Chelsea fans got locked outside and we were very much in the minority. There's some iconic iconic, uh, footage of uh, a guy being um, attacked in the middle of the centre circle by about 100 people and they always used to show that when there was any programmes about football violence or football hooliganism and that poor uh, guy was a Chelsea fan at White Hart Lane that day. So we walked up Seven Sisters Road uh, still very apprehensive because there weren't a lot of Chelsea about making out we were happy, whereas deep inside we were very sad because Chelsea had literally been relegated. My best match um, was Arsenal away at Highbury in 1984. Chelsea had been promoted the previous season and 
uh, from the second to the first division. We had a very good side. Uh, Pat Nevin, Dixon, Speedy, uh, Spackman, McLaughlin, Sveski. We had a great side. Um, but obviously we, we wanted to see how we would pit ourselves against uh, the first division teams. And, and therefore the fixture list was eagerly awaited. When the fixture list actually came out, we had Highbury, we had uh, Arsenal away at Highbury on the first day of the season. And I remember it very well. It was a really lovely hot day. And, and I know Arsenal fans won't admit to this, but I would swear Chelsea had half the ground. Um, we had the whole of the clock end. We had half of the North Bank. And we had many fans on either side in each stand. Um, and, and the Chelsea crowd were fantastic. We actually went a goal down. Um, they scored first. But then Kerry Dixon scored a fantastic goal. He hit it first with his left. It bounced off a defender, bobbled up, and he smashed the ball on a volley past Pat Jennings with his right foot. We drew one all. It was a great day. The crowd were great. Chelsea fans were great. Um, and we knew we'd be all right. And in fact, that season, we ended up sixth in the league. So that's my, my first, worst and best Chelsea games. Thank you very much. And we're back. So there we go, Andy. Um, some, it's funny, you know, going to Spurs in 1975 as his worst experience when we got relegated, um, going to Arsenal in 1984 when we'd just been promoted and Nevin and Dixon and Kerry scored a goal on that day, first day of the season, and everyone knew it was all right. Um, they're, they're real touchstones, aren't they, those North London games away? You've been to quite a few. Do, do you have... Uh, uh, is there something more special about going to the North London teams than anywhere else for you? Or uh, More special? I mean, I've had some special times going to White Hart Lane. I have to say I was there for the 6-1, um, sitting in the, amongst the away fans, which was crazy. Um, I've had some great nights, midweek nights there. Um, again, same at the old Highbury, had some amazing moments there. Uh, I've seen a smash Arsenal uh, a few times at the uh, the Emirates. So they're always good, and I like going there. They can be a little bit hairy at times, um, but uh, yeah, I mean they're, they're 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 good away games to go to. Yeah, and I think there's something there's something even more special in a kind of a weird way. I know what you're saying about Tottenham, but for me, Arsenal because and I I know I say it a lot, but because for years we were filled with fear when you saw Arsenal were the team you're going to play to just get the wins that have accumulated over the last few years. They are the most satisfying to me because it just makes me forget about all the pain and misery Arsenal have caused in the past. Well, I just think it depends who your kind of Arsenal mates are and, and, and who you have your, bun- your your football banter with. If you've got more people, you know, that are Spurs fans that you banter with and Arsenal fans, then you're probably going to wear on that side, isn't it? So presumably yeah. you have more people that you have arguments with on the Arsenal side than the Spurs side. Well, actually, it's probably even, but I'd say the one thing about Arsenal fans, when things aren't going right for them, they just shut up. Yeah, <laughs> not, the ones, not the ones I know. Oh, really? Oh, well, that, that's, that's good. I'm glad bantering's still going on. Yeah. Um, all right, well, look, we've, we've got to the end of this week, and I think we've got all the questions covered. Um, thank you, as always, Andy. Um, we're only a week away. Will you be sitting down for Aston Villa, Sheffield United, come next Wednesday? I know we'll 
do a pod before then. But are you thinking that far ahead yet or just seeing how it goes? Aston Villa, Sheffield United. <laughs> it's not exactly a thriller in Manila, is it? It's not exactly getting the season off with a bang, is it? It's not exactly Super Wednesday. Um, but yes, probably. It's the answer to your question. <laughs> Yeah, well, we've got to find out. And then you're followed by Man City Arsenal. But again, we'll yeah. talk about that all next week. All right, mate. Well, look, lovely to speak to you, you, as always. Glad you've had a good week. Carry on. Have a great week. Um, let everyone know all our details, as usual, please. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us uh, at Chelsea at the Chelsea podcast is oh, I've gone blank at the Chelsea podcast <laughs> yes. at, no sorry let me start again if you want to follow us on Twitter it's at Chelsea podcast if you want to follow us on Instagram it's at the Chelsea podcast if you want to follow me it's Mr. A. Saunders if you want to follow Kerry it's Kerry C-E-R-I Levy L-E-V-Y Kerry Levy um, and on Instagram you're Kerry Levy 1 um, I think it's about it, isn't it? Caught me on the yeah. hop there a little bit. Sorry, I didn't Sorry. have all those to hand. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. you, you knew, normally If you could figure so that seamlessly. out, you're a better man than me. But essentially, just, just search the Chelsea podcast and you'll find us. <laughs> all right, mate. Brilliant. Well, thanks, everyone. And we'll see you all next week. Cheers now. Cheers now. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.